You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Have you ever struggled to pray? Like really pray, like really sit before the Father and just talk. If if you struggle, you're not alone. I struggle with prayer as well. And um, and this is something that I've actually been convicted on lately. And it's, it's this. I am very disciplined when it comes to my conception of the Word of God. I, I love the Scriptures, and, and, and you don't have to tell me to open up the Bible. I read this all the time. And if you've been following me for a long period of time, uh, you know that I've said things and believe that God speaks through His Word. God speaks through his word. And so I'm in this position where God is speaking to me, but I'm not speaking back to him. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is replying back to God. And some of you don't read the Bible, so there's no con- communication at all. There's no, uh, there's, there's no God talking to you, at least a lot. Um, and there's no response. But if you're in your Bible, but you don't pray, it's a one-way street where God's talking to you, talking to you, talking to you, but you don't respond, respond, respond. And the Bible says pray without ceasing. It means no matter, it means throughout your day, no matter what is happening, you're responding to God. You're talking to God. Instead of complaining, you're repackaging that, um, that, that, that disappointment in prayer, in a prayer to God, rather than complaining to people who cannot fix it and are probably part of the problem, you can talk to God who can fix it, who is outside of the problem. And another thing that I'm really convicted by too is, uh, and impressed by is, is Paul at the end of the book of Ephesians in chapter six, he says, put on the whole armor of God, you know, put the whole thing on the, the, the helmet of salvation, um, the the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the, the, the shoes for the gospel. Why? So you can pray. So you can pray. And I never think that prayer is the end goal, that prayer is the battlefield, that prayer is where we handle our spiritual warfare. I love apologetics, but but that's part of the spiritual warfare. Uh, where it begins and ends is prayer. And so what I thought would be a good idea today would be just to go through uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through uh, 14 or 13. And um, and I'm going to read a little bit and talk as I go. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Here's And by the way, I, I know I've said before that I um, I love the King James and I'll read from it. I'll read from it sometimes. Uh, I, I Honestly, I was getting into it and the old English trips me up at, at times. Um, but I, I still still love it. The New King James is a, a very close version. Here's what it says. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Hypocrites are people that were 
actors in a Greek play. And these people would put on a mask and then they'd exit stage and they put on another mask and then they exit stage and then they put on another mask and, and all throughout the course of a play, they'd be a hypocrite. They'd be an actor because you don't really know what their actual face looks like. They're always wearing a mask. They're always pretending to be a different character than what they really are. They're actors. Um, they are what fits the moment at the time. And and these religious people act like hypocrites because they don't pray to actually talk to God. They, they don't pray because they're sincere. They pray for show. It's, it's just a pretense. It's just a presentation. It's just a show. It's not a real connection, real conversation with the Lord. And so Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. They do this on the street corners and the synagogues. Synagogues were like churches. They're, they're the religious meeting places um, for the neighborhood. So this is like going to your church and praying outside of your church. Oh, look how religious and pious and holy I am. And, and they would also do it in front of the street corners. And this is just obvious. Anytime you've seen someone with a picket sign, um, they're on a street corner. They're not on the side of the road where you know, the two cars might pass. They're on the street corner where most people can see them. And you can just tell by how they've set up their presentation and how they've gone about this that it's a show. It's a show. It's not something that's genuine. And it's really interesting, Jesus' remark. He says, look, that's the reward that they're going to get. That's all they're going to get is people's false assumption of who they are. And that is not worth it. You have a real connection with the living God. And it's not something that we need to be faking. It's something that you can have today. If you don't know how to pray, then pray. The easiest way to know how to pray is to just start praying. And then he goes on. He says, verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What he's saying is, before public can, before prayer can be public, it needs to be private. Some of you don't feel comfortable praying in public because you don't pray at all. And like anything, it takes practice to get good. Uh, we have this phrase in our Christian subculture called prayer warriors. These are people that spend a lot of time praying. Um, they're prayer warriors because they um, they do a lot of intercessory prayer. This is uh, by intercessory. I'm talking about standing in the gap. Uh, this is you asking God to be merciful to someone or, or gracious to someone on their behalf. They're not going to pray, so you're going to pray for them. And 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 the reason why they're good at that is because they have a life of prayer. Uh, like Jesus, it says in Mark 1, I think it's 45, that before sunrise, like while it was still early in the morning, Jesus got up to pray. He got up to to a, a secret place to pray. And he would spend hours praying. And, and that's the model that people who are really good at prayer have. They spend a lot of time doing it. And so it's never too late to start. But start. 
but start and um and and cultivate this relationship with God. It's a, it's an intimate, close, private relationship that takes over your whole life, and eventually it does go public. Like I I I, I have a hard time imagining a Christian who is not public with their faith. My question is, do they even have faith? Because faith takes over everything. Faith takes over everything. Like when Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Either one, whether it's drunkenness or being filled with the Holy Spirit, you can tell a difference in the person. And so it what's private always becomes public later, always becomes public, but it needs to be private first. So he tells us to shut the door. And then, listen, we do this so that we have the right motives. We do this so that we're really focused on cultivating that relationship with God. We're not in it for show like the hypocrites. And as a result, God blesses us. God rewards us. And then he says, verse 7, When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Um, religious people who don't have a relationship with God don't understand that God is a loving father. And loving fathers, their kids don't need to beg them for things that they need. Their, their fathers are present and ready to help. And God is the perfect father. God is ready to listen. God wants you to talk to him and to voice your needs. And he is powerful enough to respond and I just think, I see some humor here. Some people think that Jesus wasn't funny. I, I think there's some humor here. Uh, because why would you pray to a God who's deaf? Like, if he can't hear your prayer, he can't answer it either. He's powerless to help you. So I don't know why you, you're you like, well, he didn't hear me the first time. Let me say it again louder. It doesn't work that way. And then verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need uh, you have need of before you ask him. I I love this about the father. Some of you think that you have secrets. Some of you think that, you know, some of you don't pray because, you know, what would God think? God already knows. God already knows the state of your heart. God, God already knows what's going on in your life. God already knows what you need. God already knows what you're struggling with. God already knows. He knows. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but he knows. He knows. And so this provides confidence for us. Uh, A healthy fear because he knows, but also confidence because he knows. Listen, the reason why you are timid and shy and uh, in front of other people is because they don't know. And what if they do know? What's going to change Are they going to love me the same? Are they going to receive me the same? But God already knows. And he loves you as much as he can. He can't love you anymore. And he won't love you any less. And so, he says in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray. Pray this way. Our Father in heaven. This is a statement that they would have expected. Um, well, actually, no. This is a statement that they would not have uh, expected. Um, they had a national God, and he was a father, uh, but he was a father in the national sense. 
Jesus, throughout the Gospels, and this is very clear in the Gospel of John, he kept saying, my father. And so when his disciples come to him in this passage, and and it appears again in Luke 11, um, Jesus taught this a few different times in a few different places to a few different people. Jesus tells them, hey, I've been praying to my father, and I need, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray, I'm going to tell you to pray the same way. He's your father too, and you have a personal relationship with him. In heaven, he's unseen. He's above this world. He rules over this world. And then he says, hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy. It's very interesting that people take the name of Jesus in vain. They use it as a cuss word. But they never do that to Muhammad. They never do it to Buddha. They never do it to Joseph Smith. Why? Because those names don't have power. Jesus is the only name with power. And his name is to be kept holy. In the Old Testament, God revealed his personal name as Yahweh. And it was so holy that the Jews wouldn't even spell it out. They would, they would abbreviate it so that they wouldn't say the vowels, so that they wouldn't even risk possibly taking his name out of it, uh, uh, you know, taking his name in vain. But what this means is we need to have a reverence and an awe and a respect for who God is. There's this blatant disrespect going on today. People keep saying that Jesus is their homeboy. And you know what that is? That's the opposite of keeping his name hollowed. He's our brother. He's relatable. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's near. And he's not your homeboy. He's different than us. And then he goes on to say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for God's will to be done, not our own. This may seem counterintuitive, especially at first. A lot of people pray and they stop praying because it didn't work. Quote, unquote, it didn't work. But perhaps you fail to understand how prayer is designed to work. Prayer is not you telling God what to do. And if God doesn't do it, prayer doesn't work. It's not that. Prayer is talking to God and developing a relationship with God. And through that relationship, God changes you, your desires to be more like his. And so at first, when you pray, you start praying for all these selfish things. And later on, the more you pray, the more you pray God's word. The more you want God's will to be done. And I'll even add this, the more you realize how much your will actually changes. Some prayers God has not answered because if he, if he gave you what you wanted, you would not be happy or blessed. And some of, some of you can look back five years ago and, and thank God for, for not answering everything because he, he knows all and we don't. I forgot who said it, but um, I, I think it was Tim Keller. Someone said, if we knew the future the way God knows the future, we would ask God to answer pr- every prayer the way he answers them already. The, the reason why we don't appreciate how God answers prayer is because we don't have his perspective. 
but we need to have the mind of Christ. And that's really what the Christian life is all about, about your, your mind being transformed into the mind of Christ. Think like Jesus. And when you think like Jesus, you'll start saying things like, okay, your will be done. Jesus prayed this prayer toward the end of his life. It was not an easy prayer. He prayed three times for another option. I don't want to go to the cross. If there's another way to save humanity, I'd rather not do this. But he ends that prayer with, your will be done. And that's a hard prayer to pray, but it's the prayer that we need to pray. And here's what we'll experience after that prayer. God provides the joy after the obedience. There have been times where we've pushed through for what we've wanted and we've ended up miserable. It's not what we really wanted. We didn't ask the one who made us what we actually need. So we need to pray your will be done. And then he goes on and says, give us this day our daily bread. Okay. This is a prayer against greed. In the Old Testament, God saved his people out of slavery in Egypt. And they're wandering the desert. And in Exodus 16, they're very hungry. Some would say they're hangry. And they, they cry out to Moses, we need meat. We need water. We need substance. We had all this stuff in Egypt. Are you trying to kill us? And so God sends down quail. And the instruction was for each family to only gather as much as they needed for the day to feed their, their family. But some people got greedy and collected more than they should have. And so the Bible says that the next day the food rotted because God only gives the bread for today. And this is a perfect place to be. Um, greed is uh, greed festers out of the attitude that says there's never going to be enough. So let me hoard. Rather than thanking God for what we have today. And trusting God that he's going to provide for tomorrow. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today is enough for today. Then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The thing is, so debt is the Bible's uh, word for sin. There's a few different words for sin. Uh, debt is one of them. And, um, and there's the story later on in Matthew's gospel where it's called the, story, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And basically how this goes, I'm paraphrasing, there's a guy that, um, that owed millions of dollars. He could not pay it back in a lifetime. And so the king was going to throw him in jail and, and, uh, and, his, and, and, and put his, his, um, his family in slavery. And that's just what happened in that day when you couldn't pay off a debt. And so he, this guy begs the king, please give me more time to pay off the debt. So the king moved with compassion says, you know what? I forgive you. You don't have to worry about paying me back. And so the man is, I'm, gu I'm guessing, grateful, glad, very happy. He leaves and then he finds someone that owes him like 200 bucks. And he doesn't, he's, he, he chokes the guy and says, pay me back what you owe. And, and 
the guy has the same request. Give me more time and I'll pay you back. And, and the guy said, no. And so the king got wind of this and said, hey, didn't, didn't, I, didn't I forgive you of a debt that you, you, you couldn't pay back in several lifetimes? What business do you have holding this 200 bucks against your friend? You know what? Go to jail and stay there until you can pay back everything. And, th- and the thing is about that story, he'll never be able to pay back everything. Forgiveness is the same way. Um, sin is a debt that we accrue against God. And the truth is, people are indebted to us, but we're also indebted to God. And we're also indebted to others. It's not just that we've sinned, but it's that people, it's not just that people have sinned against us, but we've sinned against others. And we live in a day that is, um, it, it throws around that word justice a lot. No one asks about God's justice. No one is volunteering to say, you know what, I, I did some things. And I'm holding myself accountable. Nobody says that. We all have debts. And the lesson here is if we don't forgive those that, and I'm not saying it's easy, it's not. But if we don't forgive others, what we're saying is what Jesus did to save them is not enough. What, what, what they did to me is more grievous than what they did to Jesus. So Jesus can forgive them, but I can't. The lesson here is that if we don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive us. And so we need to forgive those that are indebted to us. And, and they need to forgive us because we're indebted to them. And if we forgive those that are indebted to us, God will forgive us. It's the height of hypocrisy to say, it's okay for God to forgive me, but I won't forgive anybody else. That's actually where bitterness grows. And bitterness, bitterness is not going to help you. Bitterness is not, you're not, you're going to stop growing as a Christ follower if you're bitter. So we have to forgive. And I'll say this too. Um, this introduces another word that's big in the Christian vocabulary. It's the word grace. Grace is undeserved favor. The world, every other religion operates on this premise. And in fact, this is one of the reasons why Christianity gets dogged so much. Um, it's that we're too lenient. And what they mean is we believe in grace. Right? Shouldn't they just pay well, they should pay, but I also should pay. And if everybody pays, nobody lives. So the way of grace is not understood by, by people that have such a, a, a rigid law mentality. But if people are going to grow and mature and get better, there needs to be room for grace. There needs to be room for error. 
There needs to be room even for mistakes. I mean, this is how you raise children. If you're if you're hard on them, you're going to discourage them. But if you show them grace, they're going to grow and 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 they're going to be encouraged to do what you love more. And then verse 13. He says, "Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one." For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I'll read 14. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I love where he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Um we not only need so in in our fight against sin, there are two things that we need to um, be aware of. It's it's not just sinning itself, but it's the opportunities to sin. the The writer of Hebrews talks about every weight and every sin. So you can think of a swimmer. Um, a swimmer is weighed down by their clothes, and so if if you're going to swim fast you're going to wear less clothing. You're going to strip yourself of that which holds you back. And this is the same here. Those those temptations, it's not sin, but it is a temptation. And, um, and we have to be watching out for the sin and also the opportunities to sin. Sometimes it's that time of day or that place or those people or that person uh, where it's 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 more easy to sin than if you weren't around them. And what Jesus is saying is cut the opportunity out. Uh, earlier on in the chapter, uh, early on um, in the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus talks about lust. He talks about adultery. And he says, look, if your eye causes you to lust, why don't you just pluck that thing out? Why don't you just cut your hand off if your hand causes you to sin? You masturbate too much, cut it off. And and, and uh, he's not he's not saying actually do it, but he's saying be very militant, be very serious against the things in your life that are holding you back from God. And it may even be a morally neutral thing, but if it's stopping you from praying, if it's stopping you from growing as a Christian, if it's if it's stunting your spiritual growth, get it out of your life. That's what he's saying. And then this last part, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That part is orthodox. It's doctrinally true. And some scholars would hold that it is not original to what Jesus' prayer actually was. Um, But nonetheless, it is doctrinally true. Why pray? Because he is the one with all the power and all the glory and the kingdom. He's the king. Above your boss is the king. Above your parents is the king. Above your pastor is the king. Above your government is the king. Above whatever your issue is, is the king. And when we pray to him, we open up that connection to the power of God. God bless and I'll see you next time.